What is going on, everybody? Hopefully, you guys are all doing well out there. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Sports Card Show podcast. Thanks for being a part of the family, being a part of the show. This is our 10th year. We'll call this our official 10-year anniversary show because it was this month, I believe. Uh, My memory serves me correctly. It's faded over the last 10 years, but in July of 2008, I recall sitting down in my apartment. That was um, actually was kind of a nice apartment, but I was probably a month or two behind on my rent, so I was li- I was freeloading. That's for sure. But one thing I did commit to, I think it was four ninety nine a month to pay to start a podcast, and so. Um, I appreciate all of you have listened, uh, whether you've been listening uh, for 10 years or for five years or for a few years, or if this is one of the first shows you're listening to, just want to say that I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we're here for another 10 years, um, you know, uh, health permitting. Uh, well, we, we will be. It's not like I've committed to doing these every week or uh, have sponsors that I need to promote and, and, and uh ass slap, so to speak, but um, we'll, we'll definitely be around um, because I'm, I'm not going to go anywhere. You know, over the next 10 years, will I have as much time, free time on my hand? Uh, absolutely not. So the, the episodes probably will come out at the frequency they have been, but who knows when I become an, uh, an older man, my kids move out, my yard's perfect, and I've built all the furniture I've wanted to build and traveled all the places I wanted to travel. Maybe I will start committing to doing these a few uh, times a week. So we'll see what the future brings. But what today's show brings is a handful of topics, and we'll kind of roll through them. Uh, maybe not spend uh, a huge amount of time uh, on any single one. Uh, many of these topics I wouldn't call the the hardest hitting or the uh, latest and greatest inside the hobby, but just kind of what I've jotted down on my paper here. Uh, yeah, we're still using pen and paper here at the Sports Card Show podcast. So just some things I've jotted down over the last few weeks and months. I have been busy and doing a lot of different things, so I certainly could talk about that. But in terms of baseball cards, we'll talk about the MLB exclusive was announced, kind of pre-announced on a blog. The Wax Heaven, I think, is uh, the name of the blog. And uh, so he announced it several weeks ago, and Topps uh, and the MLB made it official, quote unquote, uh, that the MLB exclusive is going to remain with Topps for a number of years. I don't think we heard the exact number of years, or that was announced or disclosed, but um, we could probably assume that it's uh, for a while. Tops, are they making a lot of money making baseball cards? Who knows? But um, some speculation that they aren't making a whole lot of money. Also on the tops from this also kind of comes from Twitter and kind of uh, the Wax Seven kind of uh, blog and Twitter account. Talked about how Stadium Club Baseball came out just a couple weeks ago, and I believe Tops Chrome is coming out or it's going to come out or it's already out. I'm not really sure. I think I had a pre-order from it, but as time goes on, I get allocated 12 box, and then a couple of weeks go by, and then it goes down to four, and now I think I'm down to zero. So I won't be seeing any of that product, but it, at least uh, in my own hands, but uh, I'll, I'll check it out as uh, as images and, and things like that, and people talk about and, and kind of tweet what they get. I think Alan Ginter also recently came out as well. But one thing that was brought up was the photography in Top Stadium Club, kind of a set that's known for that. I think when it first came out, I think it was known for not only the the di- kind of the variation in photos, not your typical kind of headshot or, you know, batter at the plate type photo, but, um, you know, catching some more casual shots in the dugout and things like that, but also the clarity and the high definition of the photos themselves. So that set is known for photography. And what was brought up on Twitter by um, Mario from the Wax 7, my brother did an interview with him on his podcast a couple weeks ago, if you want to, or it might have been a couple, more than a couple weeks ago at this point, but um, a couple episodes, probably a better way to put it. So you might want to check that out if you haven't already. But he kind of brought up that, hey, you know, why is it that the, uh, like, w- there's one set that's known for the photography? And I kind of thought about it, and you know, it's and I think that you know the tops excuse maker or the card company excuse, seems like the card companies have more excuse makers than you know Donald Trump supporters or uh, 
Uh, any, you know, think about it. If you get on Twitter or get on a forum or something and complain about your Ford or your Mazda or your Nissan, you don't have armies uh, of Nissan supporters saying, oh, no, man, I know your seats are ripped. I know your catalytic converter burnt out or whatever it is. Your brake pads are, are, are cheap on a Honda. You don't have a bunch of people, um, you know, making excuses for them. But in the car industry, that is like people's jobs. People, oh God, you know, top you know, top spends all this money on all this other stuff. They can't spend money on photographs. I saw people basically say that. Oh, they spend all this money on autographs and jersey cards and all this other stuff. They can't spend money on photographs. And then I thought about it and I was like, wait a second. You can make a baseball card without an autograph. You can make a baseball card without a jersey piece. You can make baseball cards without stats on the back. You can make baseball cards without logos on them. You can make baseball cards with uh, out of metal. You don't have to use cardboard. You could use wood. We've seen wood baseball cards. You have digital cards. You don't even need to make it out of cardboard or anything physical. You can have digital cards now. But what is the one thing that is basically required to make a baseball card? That's a freaking photograph or some kind of representation of uh, an athlete on the front of the card. It's a photograph. So I'll talk about that, like the kind of the the hypocrisy or maybe kind of the interesting fact that you have these card fondlers slash excuse makers saying that Topps, uh, you know, needs to skimp on photography for all this other stuff that doesn't even matter. Talk about that. Talk about the National Sports Card Collection uh, convention is coming up, and I believe that is in beautiful. I, th- I don't know. If, uh, I think it's in Cleveland this year. You can tell I've been um, focused on a lot of other stuff, primarily um, golf and things like that over the, the last couple weeks. But um, so the Nationals coming up. I am not going. Not, God knows I'm not going to go to Cleveland. I just spent a week in Pebble Beach. God knows I'm going to go to Cleveland. Uh, sure would be a lot uh, less expensive, I'm sure. I'm sure the top hotel in, in Cleveland can't can't be north of $200, $300. I don't think there's a, a Ritz-Carlton or, or anything like that. Or, or maybe you could Airbnb LeBron's house since he vacated. I mean, even LeBron's leaving. Uh, you know, LeBron's going back to Cali. He's leaving Cleveland. Why would I pay? To, if LeBron's paying to leave Cleveland, why would I pay Cal- to leave California to go to Cleveland? Doesn't make a lot of sense. So we'll talk about that. Panini sales. We'll talk about that. Panini around the World Cup. And the World Cup just ended. I've been, that's actually what I've been doing, too, the last couple of weeks, just watching a lot of sports and TV. You've got baseball season. You've got yeah the World Cup, which I watched quite a bit of. You know, you've got golf majors and the U.S. Open and the Open Championship and uh, just a lot of good stuff. And you had Summer League Basketball. I tuned in a couple games of that. Just a lot of stuff going on. And so, but one thing that always happens when the World Cup happens is Panini releases sales numbers because I think they like to tout their business around this time, uh, maybe try to pick some interest in some kind of buyers because, um, you know, don't kid yourself. If Tops is for sale, you better believe Panini is for sale too. And they've both been for sale for quite a while now. Panini actually was for sale and they, they were, I think they were close to making a deal, but then they ended up, I, I don't think that, I don't think they had any real legitimate buyers and, um, or the price wasn't right. I think all the, the, these companies value themselves um, you know, a lot like people value their card collection, probably way, way, way more than it's, it's actually worth. So we'll talk about that. Panini, are they making money? What's up with them? Have all the, think about it, over the last 10 years that we've been doing the Sports Card Show podcast, Panini has added an NBA license. I think they did that the very first year we started the show. Then they added a, I don't know what order it went, but it seemed like they had a hockey license and then a football license. And then they had an exclusive football license and they lost the hockey license. And then they got an MLB Players Association license to make um, unlicensed baseball cards. And they've got uh, many, many other kind of um, auxiliary kind of licenses, usually from Disney or something like that, not in the sports realm, to make sets. So we'll talk about, boy, they, you know, they've added all these licenses. Their sales must be going up and up and up every year. 
Talk about if that is happening or not. Talk about quitting or maybe changing focus in the sports card world. Uh, my brother covered a topic where there was a guy that I think he was like one of the, he had like a lot of Jose Canseco cards and he would, would you know, would tweet about it. And I think he had a website about it. And, you know, I think he had a YouTube page where he was talking a lot about his collection. And that's cool. I think that that's fine. Um, but he seemed to have taken uh, a whole 180 on it. And I think he, I don't know the, the most recent status on it, but it seemed like he, you know, now he's selling all his cards and, and kind of, you know, going from having his foot on the accelerator going 100 miles per hour to quickly taking off and sl- not just kind of like gently slowing the car down, but slamming on the brakes. And so I'm not going to necessarily talk about this collector himself and, you know, what he's going through. I'm going to talk about like just that, you know, taking a higher level view of it, being a super collector, which is like, you know, having your Ferrari all revved up and you're going 150 miles per hour on the Autobahn and then all of a sudden for no reason, you know, no, you know, there's no danger in your way. There's not, you know, there, nothing came out in front of you. The traffic hasn't picked up, but all of a sudden you decide to lift your foot up and slam it on the brakes. And whether or not that is, whether or not you have to do that as a collector, whether or not we have to, one, go full blast, and then two, when we realize, hey, maybe that might not be a great idea, to then just cut yourself off entirely. Maybe there's a more healthy balance. And so we'll talk about, you know, as the national comes up, and I, I'm sure if I was there, I'd be spending money on, on a bunch of stuff. And, you know, it wouldn't be really that big of a deal financially. But, um, you know, maybe some of you guys are going there and, you know, is it is it really like an addiction? Is your card collecting addiction? Are you going there because you're addicted to try to find a certain card or more cards of a certain player or an era or a set or whatever it is? Or is it that you're going there to have fun and, and whatever happens? And we'll talk about maybe kind of balancing that. And that's about it. I don't think I have anything else written down. I have a couple other topics written down here. We'll see if we get to them. But... Um, they, they just don't seem very excited to talk about at this point. So we'll move on to our first topic, which, again, well, you, I'm sure you all are aware of. Uh, the MLB exclusive is staying in Topps' hand. I don't think there was a whole lot of doubt in this that what this could do with this announcement being made, it, it did seem like this agreement was in place. Um, not, it wasn't something that was necessarily put together overnight. It seemed like it was kind of maybe um, – you know, foregone conclusion, and then they just kind of had to iron out some details. I, I would say, you know, tops is for sale. This potentially, I guess, I don't have any insight into this, but maybe potentially could clear the way for a sale because a new buyer obviously would would want this asset, be the MLB exclusive, uh, in the fold. And so we'll see if if the, if that's the case or not. Um, but. Another speculation is Tops isn't really making a whole lot of money. I mean, that's why you don't have people knocking down the door uh, to pay Tops any kind of multiple on top of sales and, and, and probably on very small earnings um, because they're not making a whole lot of money. And um, I, I don't think that's super surprising. Uh, they they sell a product that it, it, you know isn't is is more nostalgic than it is hot or. You know, I know Otani cards, and I know he, I haven't really caught up with how he's been doing recently. Baseball has probably been the one sport I haven't been following very closely. Um, but, you know, it's, it's baseball cards just aren't super hot. I know they within our community, certain players get hot, and, and certainly baseball cards over the last couple of years have sold well since you had Aaron Judge and you have Otani, and even before that, there were several years that, that sold well. It's just not a business that prints money like it did primarily because um, Topps does spend a lot of money on a, a lot of other stuff that doesn't seem to matter. Uh, you know, aside from the autographs and the jersey cards and the $25,000 sets and things like that, and maybe even these digital apps, uh, obviously those aren't printing money either because Top's financial condition doesn't seem to have proved as, as those apps have kind of quote unquote taken off or kind of um, come to the forefront. One thing Top's does spend a lot of money on is 
real estate, their office building. If you go look where their office is located, it's like in primetime uh, New York City. I, I looked it up. There's actually office space. It's actually called the, I, I believe it's called the Tops Building even. Um, it, it, you know, the the rent is close to $5 a square foot, which for, you know, for some of you, maybe if you live in New York, you live in San Jose or Palo Alto or parts of Los Angeles, um, maybe parts of Miami, you know, $5 a square foot might not sound like a lot, especially compared to a condo or your house or a vacation home. But we're talking about office space, okay? The the market, the real estate market and the economy is doing really well. I've actually noticed 10 years ago, I actually had a shop and I was, I was broke. I was closing it down. It was uh, draining money out of my bank account that wasn't there. So it was a really bad situation. So um, I recall a year, two, three years after I, I went out of business, you could have gotten commercial real estate. I'm talking about opening up a shop and office space anywhere, anywhere, especially out here in California, anywhere. I mean, there was for sale, for sale signs and available signs and for rent signs everywhere because businesses were closing up and then people weren't spending money. And it was, you know, there was a lot of real estate available. Now it's totally the opposite. I've actually been looking into, I don't think, it's just, I haven't really taken it super seriously, mainly because there's not a lot of availability of office space. There's not a lot of availability if I want to rent a warehouse to, to kind of run my Amazon business or, or anything, or certainly retail spots that are just not available. They're getting swooped up by businesses because the economy's good. People have money there, and people that have money want to start businesses and 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 take risk and try to make more money. So that's definitely happening. And what it's done, uh, you know, what it's done is drive up the prices. But one thing it hasn't done, you can still get office space for well. I mean, I was renting ten years ago for about a dollar a square foot. That's re- that's retail space. Retail space often rents for more than office space. Tops is paying $5 a square foot. Now, whether that's in their contract, whether they have a grandfather lease, I, I, don't, I don't really know. But all I do know is inside $5 a square foot office spaces are employees that have to make more than if the business was in Ohio or parts of uh, anywhere, pretty much, other than the heart of one of the richest cities in the world. You could be in the outskirts of New York. I'm sure there's plenty of uh, Buffalo and other cities inside New York that could, maybe even over in New Jersey, that could be cheaper for employees to get to. That's part of the problem actually out here in California. I read an article the other day. A salary in San Francisco of $100,000 is basically the poverty line. Think about that. I'm sure some of you guys is, can't even imagine that. $100,000 is the poverty line, essentially, in parts of San Francisco. Whereas 45 minutes away, $100,000 is one of the best jobs, biggest salary. You'd literally be like one of the richest people in the whole town for $100,000. And Tops is, is likely in the same s- scenario. They could have their office building anywhere. And certainly, if you look at Panini's office space or Beckett's or any of these other companies, they're not nearly. I think Upper Deck used to have some some very lavish uh, office space in Carlsbad, California, which is actually a really nice area of kind of San Diego. Kind of, I think it's north of San Diego, and I believe they've had to downsize over the last couple of years. So whether or not Tops is paying that much, it, it does seem to me that. Boy, the employee cost certainly goes up when you're in kind of some high rent, high high rent, high expense kind of rent district, you know, because your employees are likely not living next door, you know, a couple miles away. They're having to Uber in or they're having to take the train or whatever. Everything's more expensive. So you have to pay your employees more. And if you don't pay them more, the kind of quality of employee you're going to attract is low. And we already know these empl- these companies from Tops to Panini to Beckett don't uh, uh, necessarily employ the, the sharpest tools in the shed. But if they moved the company somewhere that wasn't quite as swanky, maybe they could afford 
some more, um, you know, some better employees. Maybe, you know, a $45,000, job at Tops would be more attractive if you didn't have to go to the heart of Manhattan, essentially, every day to go to work. So, um, you know, Tops not really making a whole lot of money, not really surprising. Their product mix isn't very impressive. The digital apps, you know, for me, d- don't look like something that's printing money. Are people using them? Do they make a little bit of money? Sure. How much money did they have to, to spend promoting them? I think my brother tweeted out one time they had like a, a couple million dollar budget to acquire traffic, acquire users to it. So, and how sustainable is it? Who knows? But the MLB, the one thing is for sure, the MLB exclusive is staying in Top's hands. And We'll see, you know, I would expect it to be business as usual over at Tops, And they'll continue to move forward until there's some new leadership put in place through new ownership. And so I I think as collectors, we just kind of have to wait around for that day to happen. And whether or not new owners, you know, makes the the cards and the contents cooler and better, I, I honestly don't know. I don't think anybody could know. I think it, it uh, new owners could be a great thing, but also new owners could end up being a terrible thing. And we just have to kind of wait and see. And certainly if you're a collector, you're hoping on the former and that the cards will get better and the company will be, um, you know, maybe pay more attention to detail. And one of the, the details that has been kind of noticed by really – you know, many collectors, but one that brought it to light on Twitter was uh, Mario from the Wax Evan. And he talked about how this was when Stadium Club was live and kind of, you know, first getting opened up. And uh, the comment was kind of like, you know, why is it that there's only one set a year that's known for its photography? And I kind of thought about that and I was like, wow, you know, that is kind of true that you know, here it is, baseball cards, which again, I talked about on the top of the show, you can make without logos. You could make without action shots of the players. You could make without a lot of things. There's a lot of things you can make a baseball. You don't even have to make the card. We talked about how you got digital cards now. You're not even making the card. But one thing that is pretty much a, a given is a, photog- a f- photograph. So it seems to me that's like one of the most important parts of the business. It'd be like running a pizza shop without cheese. Or running a pizza shop without sauce. I mean, it, you know, or you run a pizza shop and the sauce sucks. Well, guess what? Your pizza place is going to be out of business real quick. Or your pizza place is not going to make a whole lot of money. I think that's maybe part of Topps' problem. And, um, you know, obviously the excuse makers came out in full force. Oh, you know, top spends all this money on all this other stuff. I never saw anybody mention that they have, uh, office buildings in the heart of New York city that are basically five to 10 times more expensive than anywhere else in the world. Literally go bring up your own uh, Craigslist or LoopNet or whatever you want to do and look for office space in your town. Guarantee you there's not a lot renting. At five, not even being advertised, let alone being rented. People don't even advertise real estate at five dollars a square foot. Office space. We're not talking about retail. We're not talking about a house on the beach. We're talking about office space. Didn't see any of the fondler slash excuse makers talk about how tops could cut costs there. No, it was oh they're spending all this money on autographs. They're spending all this money on the exclusive license. They're spending all this money on all this other stuff. Guys, what is top? What is tops now? Tops literally gets a photograph from the day before, and creates like a couple hundred cards. Tops goes through the effort of creating a card with a photo from the day before to only sell a couple hundred, not a couple thousand or tens of thousands or millions of cards. They literally go through the process of making a card with a photograph from the day before, marketing that card, selling, like selecting it. First of all, you got to have an employee that's sitting there saying, oh, this is the, these are going to be the top now cards. Then we're going to get a photograph from the day before, which again, like, you know, how, how come we can get photos from the day before on tops now, 
but we used the same Robin Yount photo in all his cards or the same, um, you know, Mike Trout headshot in, in four of the five sets, whatever it is. And I'm not just talking about tops right now, but I think tops, the tops now and even the digital cards kind of throws, you know, the excuse maker's argument into the trash can. Tops isn't finding it so expensive to find a photograph from the day before to sell a few. I mean, some of those Tops Now cards, they only make a couple hundred of them. If, I, if I'm not mistaken, it, it's not like tens of thousands of those cards. I think if 10,000 sell, it's a lot. I can't imagine Tops is making a whole lot of money off the Tops Now program. I think it's more of a marketing thing. They've had caught, they have caught some buzz, I think, in, in regular press and kind of marketing that set. And I think that, that you know, is, is probably more or less what they're doing it for. But Topps has shown a willingness to get unique photography and timely photography time and time again with the digital apps and Topps Now. But they, again, they come out with set after set with the same photograph that we saw last year or the year before. Or there's been cards put out with guys like not even, I think there was a card put out not long ago, a guy in a Braves uniform and he never played for the Braves. So it's, you know, I don't know what's going on there. But it seems like they pay attention to to some things and, and other things slip through the cracks. And it's like any other company. Because none of the employees there have any, um, any uh, you know, ties to the con- company outside of the salary they get every two weeks. But I do think I do agree with the idea that these companies, again, not just Tops, but Panini and Upper Deck and all these companies, could do a way better job with the photography. Could not just recycle the same photo over and over and I've seen it with basketball cards because that's primarily what I'm buying right now okay only an idiot buys Otani when he's four weeks into a season okay we've seen what happened to his values and what happened to his his hype same with Aaron Judge his cards aren't flying out the door uh, like they did last year either the people that do that you know you guys are again more we'll talk about this in a minute you might be more addicted then um, then really thinking intelligently about this. And I think most people that listen to the show actually don't fall into that category. You are smart collectors and you realize buying when the hype is hot and when, when the hype is going on is not really a good idea. So to finish my point and kind of finish this topic here, um, I've been buying a lot of basketball cards because guess what? They're not really playing basketball right now. I know the, that LeBron and, and, and the free agency and a little bit of the summer league is in the draft keeps basketball in the news. But for the most part, inside the hobby, most people are really focused on uh, baseball right now. And I, and I really think the opportunity is, is likely a little bit in football, but definitely basketball as well. And so those were the for- sports I would be focusing on. Not really prospecting anybody in football. Don't don't really think that sports on an upswing in terms of popularity, anyways, like basketball is. Uh, but that's another story. But again, to to finish, if you've been listening to the Sports Card Show podcast for ten years, you know we kind of tangent off. But then I try to wrap back around. I've been collecting a lot of basketball cards, and I and I've seen Panini kind of use the same Lonzo Ball headshot or the same Lonzo Ball. Um, kind of image and the Kuzma image and the same De'Aaron Fox image. But I will say they mixed it up enough to where it's not, it's not super annoying. I'm not buying a, a ton of Lonzo Ball cards or a ton, you know, a ton of, I shouldn't say a ton of, I should not buying a ton of variety. I'm not buying all the sets. I'm really only buying two or three or four sets uh, that he's in. And they all have different photos, but you do, you know, you can go to check on my cards. It's probably one of the best ways to kind of, you know, see, see this as a visual. You can go to like check on my cards and, sh- and search like Mike Trout 2017 and kind of see all his cards that were made in 2017. And you might see, you know, how often Topps reuses a photo or however many of those photos really seem to kind of stand out as maybe being unique. And I think, again, I think the companies should 
you know, I, I think the details really, when you're making a collectible, think about this. These companies are making a product that's supposed to be collectible. And that's usually like the first definition of something that's not collectible is when it's made to be collectible. But people's, you know, people have long collected baseball cards. So it kind of stays in, in, in that category. But the, it, when you're making a collectible, the details really matter. Um, and I think certainly with baseball cards, people want stats on, you know, with most sets, they want stats on the back. They want a photo that hasn't been recycled. You know, I can, you can recycle photos. I don't think that's really the problem. It's just recycling them three, four, five, six, seven times. You know, um, obviously if it's like a really old player, there's only a hand, there's only so many photos out, out there because photography is not. You know, it's not that old of a media. I mean, it's been around a long time, but um, you know, these players weren't photographed as much as they are now. Now you got fans taking photos of these players. You can go to the stadium, and I also don't see it being. You know, I know photographer. You know, having a professional photography uh, photographer and stuff could sound expensive, but they they are allowed to get in the games for free. Most photographers are freelance anyways. There's probably a lot of them, uh, especially younger photography photographers, maybe ones that haven't really made a name for themselves in an industry, but wouldn't mind getting into this business, wouldn't mind putting a little sweat equity. But from, from what, I, uh, what I can imagine, what I, I've found out, most of these companies have, you know, they, they basically license the, you know, they license the photo from a third party. That they're really just getting on a computer and kind of looking at the images. They're not hiring Joe Photography and sending them to the Yankee game to snap photos. It's just not done anymore. I believe they have certain guys come out for spring training or kind of, uh, you know, s- certain kind of uh, positioning on, on, on certain, certain days. Certainly the photo shoots at the player premieres and things like that, you have a, a, a hired photography. But in terms of game to game, it seems like they've really just licensed that out through somebody else. So I think just some more attention to detail could be done there. I know the, these companies definitely have employees that are overworked. They're, they all have, you know, they're all run pretty leanly. And, um, you know, they're pumping these sets out as fast as they can. But uh, certainly, I think some, some more, more can be done there. And actually, Tops announced a, l- a little while ago, they're actually outsourcing the whole making of, of a set to, like, players. So I think Bryce Harper's coming out with a set that, where Bryce Harper, like, decides what's on the card. And I think he ba- basically does it. I don't know if Bryce is really going to spend a lot of time on it. But, um, you know, somebody in Bryce Harper's camp will be responsible for making a set. So that'll be interesting to see. Do these players and their representatives, that I'm sure will be helping them and their friends and their agent or whoever, my guess is they'll probably do a pretty damn good job. In part because it's the only set that they're kind of responsible to make. Whereas when you're working for one of these companies, it's like bam, 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 onto the next set. Let's talk briefly about Panini. So Panini just had the World Cup. They typically tip over a billion dollar or billion euro in sales. Um, So a little more than a billion, I think. And um, in those World Cup years, so every four years. But what's interesting to me is when I saw Panini's sales chart, so Panini put out a chart that you have to, you know, I've seen in years past this same chart. So you got to assume it's fairly accurate. Uh, Panini put out a sales chart that showed since to I think it stretched back even further than the time frame I'm referencing. But really, I just want to reference the last 10 years with Panini, because like I said, the Sports Card Show podcast has been around 10 years. Panini really has been around 10. You know, this this podcast has actually been around for as long as Panini has kind of been in the the licensed trading card game. I know they made stickers and things like that for a long time, but really kind of the licensed uh, trading card game, the this podcast has been around as long as that. And, um, you know, I got to say, I, I don't think the listenership and certainly the money the site has bring it, brings in uh, doesn't go up year after year. But we're not adding um, a whole lot to the show. We're not adding, we're not out there aggressively trying to make money with the show. Whereas you got to think Panini 
Since 2008, they started with a basketball license. Then I think they got a football license. Then I think they got a hockey license. Now that hockey license went away, but then they got an MLB Players Association license, and they've gotten Justin Bieber cards, and they've gotten Dragon Ball Z, and they've gotten all these other sets, okay? So you got to imagine with the basketball, and now they've got a basketball and a football exclusive. Since 2008, they've added a basketball card and a football card exclusive. And if you think about it, really, those two sports have benefited primarily from group breakers because what does group breakers uh, break probably the most of? I would guess football. And then I would also guess basketball is pretty high up there. Not that baseball is terrible business for them, but a lot of baseball sets not really, at least what Topps put out, um, not really conductive to breaks because if you think about it, Tops puts out a lot of $80, $100 products, which I think is a really good strategy. I'm not criticizing them for it. But in terms of group breaking, what those guys typically like to break are, are a little bit higher, more hits, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 hits, or, you know, every card is a hit typically is um, more group break worthy. And if you think about the products, Panini teams. Uh, seems to cater to that more than uh, baseball card sets. So, you know, you got to figure tops, you know, you got to figure Panini sales had to have gone up uh, since 2008, but they really haven't. I'll try to remember to post a link or maybe an image of the the sales in the show notes. If you go to sportscardradio.com, you find the show notes to this show. Um, you know, you, the, the, the sale, again, outside the World Cup year, the World Cup year is always tick up because everybody, you know, wants to collect the World Cup. I say everybody, a very large amount of people watch the World Cup and and collect memorabilia from it. And the stickers are a large part of that. So you'd think Panini sales would tick up and up and up, but they really haven't. And so it just shows you that, you know, the, these in, in part, you know, Panini's obviously, it's not that Panini's making no sales in basketball and no sales in football, but what it's doing is it's not big enough to replace declines in other areas of their business, whether it be the comic books or, or, or whatever it has, whatever it is. But Panini's sales really haven't grown with the addition of an NBA exclusive and an NFL exclusive and a Players Association of Baseball to make a handful of sets. I think these companies could, as kind of a side tangent, I think these companies could make more money um, not making cards. I think they could provide some kind of authentication. Imagine it, you know, everybody slurps Beckett, who, who now can't even return cards within. I think Beckett, I don't know if they've solved the issue, but they've been backlogged for like a year over at Beckett. Like, they're literally backlogged to death. And I think PSA, um, maybe not to, to the extent Beckett is, but they're backlogged as well in terms of grading cards, having the, the, the you know, people on, on staff to do that. People like slurp Beckett grades. Imagine if Topps had their own grading system. Think about who would be the best to authenticate a card. The people that made it or some other person sitting in Dallas. These companies also could have far more, um, you know, probably could be generating, I I would assume, several thousands of dollars a month. Again, when we're talking about a company these size, a couple thousand dollars a month, not really a big deal, but it is, would pay for an employee or two. But when we're talking about the grading business, there's literally like PSA is a public company and Beckett wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for grading. Like there's literally two companies that exist because of grading and authentication. So there are things these companies could branch out to, but what, what have they chosen to do? Digital. I think they're wise to do the direct-to-consumer. I think they, they could do even more of that. The other thing that really confuses me, especially with Panini, is that they almost like are, are like they treat online-only sellers. So if you, only say, if you don't have a hobby shop and you only sell on maybe JoeBlowsWebsite.com, unless it's Blowout or DA, I think DA has a shop. I think Blowout has quote-unquote a shop. 
It's not really a shop. I think it's a hole in their warehouse that they've carved out. DA Cardwell, I think, actually has a, a true, true shop. But if you're just a guy like me trying to sell on Amazon and eBay and your own website, they literally treat you like a second-class citizen. You can't buy their stuff. This is 2018, guys. It's 2018, and these guys, again, uh, that's the other thing I don't understand. Panini and Tops and Upper Deck and actually almost all these companies literally drive you into a business model that 99% people fail at, including yours truly. They're literally driving you into a business model that has all these other expenses. Instead of spending the thousand I would have spent on rent, the few hundred on a credit card processor, the couple hundred on internet connection and uh, alarm company and telephone and yellow page listing and Yelp ads or whatever. My employees, my cash register, my display cases, advertising locally, events, sponsorships, sponsor the little league team, whatever. I'd have to spend all that money if I, if I had a shop. Those are all things I just rattled off that I spent money on when I had a shop and more. You get broken into. Tops and Panini literally drive you to that business model, which again, any business, but especially a sport. We know that all businesses have like a 90, like all new businesses fail within the first three years, it's like 90% of them. And I bet if you looked at sports card shops, it's probably closer to 99% fail. Tops and Panini literally drive you into that if you want to buy from them. Now, group breaking is kind of like an exception. If you want to live in your mom's basement and, and sit in front of a webcam, that for some reason is an acceptable business model. But selling on the number one e-commerce in the, in the United States, Amazon, that's, that's a second class thing to do. Selling on a top five e-commerce platform like eBay, also a second class thing to do. Setting out your, your own Shopify store and selling on there, also a second class thing to do. Or selling through Twitter and Facebook, it's actually as easy to sell you know, probably through those platforms as it is through your own Shopify. That's a second class citizen to Panini and Tops. And it just doesn't make any sense to me. More so Panini. I can pre-order Tops, but it's, it, it, it would be easier to get it if I had a hobby shop. And Panini literally doesn't sell to you, and neither does Upper Deck. I mean, these companies wonder why... They don't make money. They sell to a business model that is dying. It would be like Levi saying, oh no, I, I know Amazon's popular and I know Dillard's is, is nice and I know Macy's is still all right, but we're only going to sell to JCPenney's and Sears. JCPenney's and Sears have been with us for forever and we're going we're gonna to only sell to them. Imagine how that would have worked out for them. And certainly there are brands uh, at Sears and JCPenney's that have gone under because those, those, it's the it's old dying model. Look at Toys R Us. What if a toy maker was like, what if Mattel or, or any of these big toy makers was like, oh no, we're only going to sell exclusively to Toys R Us. What is Target? What is Walmart? What is Amazon? We're not going to sell on there. Guess what? They'd be out of business. What if the video game industry was like, oh, nope. I mean, some of, some of the video game makers were like this for a while. Oh, we're not going to sell digital. We're not going to sell uh, digital games. We're only going to sell on CDs and, and the cartridges. I think even Nintendo was still like that. And they wonder why they fall into... Nintendo was the biggest, was by far the biggest video game, most dominant video game maker in the world. And guess what? Xbox, Microsoft, and Sony came along and digitized it. Guess what? Not that Nintendo, Nintendo's really have kind of, you know, they've, they've come out with some innovative products and um, they've kind of changed with the times, but they were slow to change. And that's why, you, you know, that's why they don't make, they don't have the dominant position uh, that they still have. Upper Deck's the same way. They literally only sell to quote unquote diamond dealers. And that's fine, okay? Couple sets a year, some, some special sets, whatever. I don't, I don't think that's a bad idea. 
Or maybe they get first crack at it. Your hobby shops get the very first crack at it. If the hobby shops all buy it all in allocation, then nobody else gets it. That's fine. But that's not what's that's not what ha- is happening. If you go to your if you go to a distributor, and for you guys that just collect, you might might not be this topic might not interest you, but for, for the sake of finishing it, you can go to a distributor and they have in-stock, quote-unquote in-stock stuff. So this is stuff that, that you can just buy right off the shelf. It's not on pre-order. It's sitting there on the shelves ready to be bought. Every single one of Panini's products is basically sitting there. So it's not like these hobby shops and even the group breakers are selling this stuff out. But Panini refuses basically, to let people buy it and sell it on Amazon, buy it and sell it on eBay, buy it and sell it on uh, anywhere they want. It'd be, it'd be easier to be a Rolex dealer or a Mercedes dealer. And those brands are uh, far more prestigious. I'm kind of, jo- I'm obviously joking with the, that, that, maybe not Mercedes-Benz, but certainly I don't think, you know, without a decent amount of capital behind you, I don't think you can just become a Rolex, certified Rolex dealer. Those might even be company-owned. I'm not really sure. But Panini treats this stuff, you know, is, is selling this stuff like it's, it's 1918 and not 2018. These guys are selling this stuff like it's 2008 and not 2018. So hopefully that changes. But if it doesn't, the, the hobby's not going to grow, okay? The hobby is not growing at the card shop level, primarily because it's super expensive to open a card shop. It's super expensive to open a retail shop, especially in today's economy. You're competing against restaurants and pizza shops and bars and other boutiques. So it's driving the price up, driving the cost up, at least out here in California. Maybe if you live in the middle of nowhere, You can, but then you're selling to what, 400 people? Not even that? So it doesn't make sense to me, and it's not surprising to me that these these companies aren't growing their sales because they're literally stuck. Uh, it's, It's like it's 1998. I know cards were, were, you know, the sales of cards were probably bigger and, and, and wider in 1998, but times have changed. If you're still selling the, the you know, I, I can't think of really any business that is still selling their stuff the same. I mean, obviously there's, there, there, there are industries that haven't been disrupted or won't be disruptive, but I would guess they probably haven't grown their sales as well. If you haven't, if you're still selling the same way you did in 1998 as you're doing in 2018, you're absolutely insane. And that's what these card companies are. It's not that they're insane. I just think they're, they're, they, they have low, I think you just have low, as Donald Trump would say, there's low IQ people running these companies. I've never been impressed when I hear anybody talk from these companies. I literally could go down the street to the local college and find a four-year business grad that's going to talk about the card business about the same. This is a 20-something-year-old person. I just spent the week at a golf course, and there were golf pros there that I was blown away. And now this is a golf course in Pebble Beach, so it's like the best job you can get within the, I mean, it's one of the best jobs you can get in the golf industry outside of Augusta and, you know, a handful of other places in the world working in Pebble Beach, California as a golf pro, you're going to be able to get the best of the best there. And I was blown away with these guys. They were lit. I mean, I saw like golf pros, like taking out the trash and doing stuff, like doing everything. And I was like, wow, that guy is like, you know, and these guys had been there. It's not like they just started or trying to get noticed or trying to move up the ladder. They're, they're literally like doing everything, doing like little jobs. This is somebody in a golf pro at these golf courses makes, you know, they're not, they're not like millionaires, but they're doing well. Okay. These golf courses generate a lot of money in that area and they're a big attraction. So these guys are, are, you know, their job is really important and they were doing a great job at it. I don't see that in, in the card industry. 
when Panini comes out with a set, it's literally like a sales sheet a couple months before. Panini, uh, Tracy Hackler will, will spit out a blog post that's looked the same over the last 10 years that he's been there. I don't know if he's been there 10 years, but it's, he's been there a long time. None of that's changed. So it doesn't surprise me, their sales haven't gone up. And so maybe it's worth quitting. So we'll move on topic. So maybe that's why people are getting fed up and quitting. They're looking at these companies and it's like, ah, man, is it worth putting in all this time? Imagine if you put all this time into buying houses or buying uh, classic cars and restoring them or buying um, you know, rare art pieces or buying stocks. Over the past 10 years, I have bought very few baseball cards. I have bought many, 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 many stocks. Many, 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 many. Not over the last couple years. Far less over the last couple years. Just started buying. Um, I could dipped a little bit more into crypto over the last just couple weeks. I've been buying, I've been been hoarding gold as well. Um, whether or not that works out, I don't know, but it does look nice. Uh, and it is pretty, it's far prettier than a portfolio of stocks. But um, so, you know, maybe buying these cards isn't worth it. Maybe quitting is, is the thing to do. And here's what I have to say on that. And again, this topic is really spurred by, there was a, a Jose and Seiko collector, and I think he had one of the larger or more complete collections in the world, and all of a sudden decided to quit one day for, for, an, for I think it, it sounded like maybe a variety of reasons, but primarily because it sounded like um, maybe his priorities had shifted maybe a little bit. And, you know, really I saw him going for, it, it seemed like he was going full speed in the fast lane, to not hitting the blinker, moving over to the slow lane, slowing down a little bit. Then, oop, here's my exit. Blinker, hit the, now you hit the brakes and start slowing down as you're moving down the exit ramp. No, he was in the fast lane in his Ferrari going 150 miles per hour, and then he picked his foot off the accelerator and slammed it on the brakes. That's literally what this collector did. And I think the lesson here for everybody listening to today's show, because you're all probably collecting it to some certain degree, is maybe you really don't want to find yourself in that position where you're going 150 miles per hour and the only way you see to stop is by hitting the brakes as fast as you can. It is a that is kind of an uh, an addictive personality. Think about it. If we weren't talking about cards and we were talking about drinking, this guy went from being one of the biggest and best drinkers in the world to quitting cold turkey. And while it's admirable, you quit cold turkey and it's great. Maybe you should have thought about that before you, you know. Drink and drink and drink and become one of the best drinkers in the world. And maybe instead of like quitting full force, thinking about changing your focus, taking a break, having some balance in your life. Now, again, if you have the money, and to me, if if this guy was like super rich, all these Jose Canseco cards would be like nothing. If you were super rich, why would you go through the process of selling a two, three hundred dollar card or a ten dollar card or whatever it is? Having to mail all those out and, and handle all those transactions. There's certainly things around my house I could sell, I don't use. Whether I can sell them on eBay or I can sell them on Facebook or whatever it is, there I have a lot of things around my house that I could sell. But when I don't need the money and I don't have the desire, I'm not going to sell it. So I think that's the number one thing. Always have a balance in your collection. 
financially especially, if you ever find yourself, oh my God, I'm spending too much. I got to hide this from my wife. Or, oh man, you know, maybe it's not just one purchase, but time and time again, every month, you know, when I worked at car shops, there'd be guys come in, unfortunately not enough at the one I owned, but especially at the, the one I worked on when I was a little kid. When I say a little kid, I was like in high school and in college. But there were guys that come in every day, spend $30, $40 every day. And, and maybe that's fine, you know. It's probably better than spending $30, $40 on beer or cigarettes or whatever it is. But if you find that it's getting too much and you're spending too much on it, then you need to start pulling back. And maybe instead of spending $30 a day or $300 a week or maybe it's $300 a month, you need to start pulling back. Start budgeting it. And if you have a wife or if you have a significant other or whatever it is, you know, I would encourage you to talk to them about it and share your, uh, share your concern and share where you want to go. Say, hey, you know, I know... You know, I know you, you know, go to your wife and it might, the conversation might go something like this. It's like, ah, you know, she's probably going to be nagging you all the time. She's going to want something and you're going to be like, no, we don't have the money. And then she's going to bring up, well, you just spent $300 on a box of uh, Topps Chrome Baseball. And when you opened it up, you got two guys I'd never heard of. And you were slamming your head on the table. Maybe you need to share with your wife, yeah, that $300 was a base of money. I'm going to control myself. I'm going to have a budget. Maybe your wife can even distribute the money to you, and you're only going to have $100 a month, maybe $70 a month, $50 a month, whatever you think is appropriate. If you do find that you have too many cards, sell them. Get rid of them. I have this uh, conversation with my wife a lot uh, with clothes. My wife is not a prolific buyer of clothes. What she is is a prolific collector of clothes. She literally has sweatshirts and uh, T-shirts and stuff. I mean, she still fits all her clothes from like elementary school, basically. But um, she, she, I don't think she's ever thrown a piece of clo- clothing away. So you can imagine our closet is like filled. And it's like filled with like 99% of it she doesn't wear. So I keep telling her, I'm like, I, I don't care. Like, I want you to buy clothes from, from Nordstrom's. I, I'd rather you buy the clothes from Nordstrom than, than Target. God, I hate it when my wife goes to Target and looks at clothes. I'm like, nobody fashionable wears anything from Target. It's kind of like going, you know, and collecting cards, only buying blasters. Eventually, you got to upgrade to hobby boxes and things like that. So... Um, I've had similar conversations with my wife and things that she's buys. And I think you could do the same. Instead of buying up all the crap, everything that comes out, focus on something. Focus on a certain player. And get rid of the stuff that you don't want, you don't need. All the base, all the dupes, all the stuff. Get rid of it. I don't care if you sell it, you give it away. You create grab bags. You create contests. I don't care. Get rid of it. I think purging your collection every once in a while will really help. And if you really, um, again, this is uh, this is not this company doesn't pay me. They've never paid me. In fact, I think I've turned down money from them. Uh, I think one of the easiest ways to do this is on check out my cards. You buy cards on there. Your money sits on there. I literally have an account that I started in July. I think it was actually, I probably should post the stats here pretty soon because I think I started in July 2015. So it's been three years. I have like $60 in there and over like 1,200 cards. I have like over 200 Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma basketball cards that I'm kind of prospecting for the next like six months or so. I've never deposited anything over $100. That, to me, was enough. And there's been many, many times I've, you know, ran sales or ran port sales and just sold it and got rid of stuff. I can think, you know, for me, check out my cards. It it really helps keep me in the hobby, but it also keeps everything in check. Number one, I don't have a thousand cards sitting around here. That's good. 
Number two, it's easy to sell stuff. I don't have to bubble list it and bubble mail or anything. Now, the problem with cards is you got to answer 40 questions when you list them on eBay, especially expensive ones. So it simplifies the selling process. It's quicker, it's cleaner, it's faster. And so I think if you're having trouble with that, it's definitely, you know, saying, hey, I'm just going to have my whole collection and check on my cards. Whether or not that's a good idea, I'll let you decide. But certainly for a portion of your collection or the majority of your collection or, or the kind of mid to low end items, certainly better than I think having it um, on your person. So instead of quitting full force, I think one thing that you could do is change focus. Because I, I don't, I, I actually don't like seeing, you know, I don't like seeing guys that are like, oh, I'm a super collector, I'm getting every card. I think that's unhealthy. And then at the same time, I think it's really even more unhealthy to say, I'm going to sell it all, I've, you know, uh, it's gone. I'm going to get out and I'm out. I think both those things, both those perspective is unhealthy. I think finding, and again, I don't think most of you guys listening are, are in that in that process, but maybe to a certain degree you might be, or maybe for certain um, certain times of the year, maybe you are. And again, if you do have a focus, whether it's collecting a certain player or certain um, set, or we, when your team does have a, a new rookie or a new player, I could see getting excited. But I think if, if it kind of takes on a life of its own and all of a sudden you have to have everything, you have to buy it, I, I think that's, you know, when, when, when you need... And, and when you get to the point where, you know, you kind of have to sell your cards, I think you, you've kind of crossed the line. If you have to, you know, you kind of feel like you have to sell your cards, I think you've crossed the line. And I might cross that line one day in my life. I, I, I won't do it with cards, but I'll be honest. You buy, you buy one nice watch, you start looking at a second one. And I'm sure when I get the second one, I might look at the third. And at some point, I might look around and say, God damn, what the hell am I doing with $50,000 worth of watches? And that day, that day might come. I've certainly done that over the last couple uh, months with tools. Bought a lot of tools over the last couple months. All different saws and router bits and routers and all this stuff. And I might one day look and say, man, do I, do I really need these tools? Do I need all these bits? Do I need all these blades? And at that point, maybe I decide to sell. And one thing uh, definitely that applies to my, my life it, very closely to this is uh, the game of golf. For when I was young, when I was picking it up and Tiger Woods was, was just starting his career, it was really exciting. The, the game was, was awesome. I was playing every day. Um, I've kind of shifted out, out of that. I really only play every, I probably only pay four, you know, three to four times a year now. I used to play three to four times a week, minimum. Now I probably pay three to four times a, a year. But one thing I have done is kind of shift my focus with that. And so I think it, it, it certainly, you know, do I have the time to play three and a half hour rounds? Not right now. If my son, you know, when my son gets a little older and if, if he has an interest in playing golf, then yeah, maybe we'll go out and we'll play. It'll be fun. If he doesn't have any interest, if he wants to play tennis or baseball or Soccer or any of these other sports, that's fine too. But one thing I've done with the game of golf is actually shifted my focus to um, really just enjoying it when I do get out and play and when I have an opportunity to go out and caddy. And that's actually what I did over the last week or so. I actually spent the last week, it might say, I'm actually really tired uh, physically, not really tired um, like I'm probably not going to go sleep after I record this podcast, but I am tired physically because I've spent the last week caddying, and it's been fun. Um, 
And so I've kind of shifted my focus from being a player, trying to be really good. I think I got down to a four handicap at one point. To now I hardly play at all. But when I do have a chance to, to go play or when I can watch it on TV, um, I certainly love to do that. And so I think you can apply that to, to sports cards. And this podcast might be that as well. We certainly had these podcasts far more frequently and I uploaded more, but now we're 10 years in. We're over, we've done over 200 shows. So do I put, you know, and, and at the same time, my life is, uh, you know, over the last 10 years, I've probably changed more than any other portion of my life. From, you know, 16 to 26, My life changed, but it definitely changed far more from 26 to 36. And I'm sure the same thing will happen, 36 to 46 and onward. So we'll see kind of where things go. But um, I just want to let everybody know, since I've made uh, some really nice friends, I'm actually going to go see someone I met through the podcast, I'm actually going to go uh, visit him and his family for the second time, actually, in a few weeks. So this show, this sh- I've played rounds of golf uh, with listeners of the show. I've visited them. I've gone to football games, gone to hockey games, gone to basketball games. I've met at card shows. I've had lunch and dinners with people that have listened to this show. And so, um, again, we're in our 10th year. I don't have any, uh, I don't have any, um, desires to stop. Do I have the desire to fire it up every Monday at eight o'clock? No, absolutely not. I don't have any really reason to do that as well. I don't think the the sports card uh, business is, um, booming in that sense. And even if it was, I, I, I don't think having a podcast once a week would really do a whole lot that for that. But, I, but, it, but one thing that hasn't changed over the last 10 years is my appreciation for all you guys listening and all the people that have contacted me, whether it's through email or text or um, on Facebook and Twitter. I'm sure as the next 10 years come along, There'll be other ways to communicate with the show and participate. And we'll certainly um, try to facilitate as many of those as possible. But I just want to say, you know, as this show kind of comes to an end today, it it's still around because of the interaction and the appreciation that I, that I get from all of you. And that, that's not a... That's, that's not me, you know, I, I enjoy the feedback. I'm not requiring it. I don't, uh, I'm sure many, many of you have listened and never have, don't have a Twitter or don't uh, have any desire to read my opinions on there. You've never emailed the show. You might not even visited the website. But um, I definitely appreciate, it is because the feedback I've gotten and uh, the fact that people still listen and still seem to care that the show will continue on. So for that, I, I appreciate the last 10 years that you guys have, have uh, not really given me, but that we've spent together. This show is not, um, you know, is less about me sitting here at a mic and more about kind of this uh, card collecting and, and kind of discussing ideas uh, as a community. And so I appreciate that. And uh, again, as time goes on, we'll see what happens. But um, for now, we are out of here.